From his first job flipping burgers at McDonald's and delivering the Washington Post, Craig Willett counts only one and a half years of his adult life working for someone else. Welcome to the Biz Sherpa Podcast with your host, Craig Willett, founder of several multi-million dollar businesses and trusted advisor to other business owners. He's giving back to help business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs achieve fulfillment, enhance their lives, and create enduring wealth. The Biz Sherpa. This is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. Welcome to episode nine of our podcast. Today we have a special guest, Kristen Harper. Kristen is joining us from Ohio. Kristen is a third generation entrepreneur. She has more than 30 years business and brand leadership experience from grassroots startups to global iconic brands. After spending over 20 years in corporate America, successfully leading brands like Crest, Oral-B, Hershey's Kisses, Kristen ventured into entrepreneurship. She's the CEO of Driven to Succeed LLC, a leadership development company that provides brand strategy consulting, market research, keynotes on leadership and emotional intelligence, and career coaching for Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, and rising leaders. Kristen, welcome to the Biz Sherpa podcast. Thanks so much, Craig. So happy to be here with you. We're, you know, not only do you do this coaching and leadership consulting, one of the things that you've done is you've written a book called The Heart of the Heart of a Leader. Tell us a little bit about why you wrote that book. Sure. I was going through a tough time at work. We were going through an acquisition. And if anybody knows about acquisitions, they are full of change. They're full of uncertainty. Um, and you just don't know what the future is going to hold. And having gone through uh, other acquisitions throughout my career, I know that it's a very emotional time. And I know that as a leader, my emotions trickle down to my team, whether they're positive or whether they're negative. So having had an experience many years ago where my emotions weren't so positive <laughs> and they trickled down to my team, I knew that I needed to keep myself grounded. I needed to keep myself optimistic. And so I started jotting down leadership principles that I've learned along my uh, career within corporate America, and it turned into a book. Oh, that's great. I like how you said and shared with us how you worried that and you noticed that your emotions flowed down to your team. And sometimes that's for the positive and, and for the negative. And really, Kristen, how I met you was through an article written about your 20, 20 question emotional resiliency test on CNBC Make It. And I'm grateful that you'd be a guest here today because I took that quiz and quite frankly, it got below average. I wanted to see if I had above average emotional resiliency. And I started thinking for our listeners, one key to success in business is finding out where some of your emotional weaknesses are and how you can boost or strengthen them. And so I've read part of your book and I realized that in your book, you really offer some solutions to areas where we might be deficient. And as a business owner, if we are more emotionally resilient, we're more likely to succeed. So I'd like to start out getting to know you just a little bit better today. And that's the background of what, how we got to know each other. But you started a business when you were 14 years old. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the business that I started was Chrissy's Cookies and Stuff. I Ooh, uh, wanted good. to buy some Christmas gifts. <laughs> It was good. I wanted to buy some Christmas gifts, but I didn't have a money. I didn't any money. I didn't have a job at that time. And I said, well, what are my skills? 
And I was walking to school one day. I used to walk about a half hour each way to school. And I passed a grocery store, Big Bear, and I thought, hmm, I could bake. And so <laughs> I created my uh, recipes and identified what products I was going to make. And I stopped by Big Bear one day on my way home from school and I priced out what I now know is cost of goods sold. <laughs> so down to the teaspoon of salt and the tablespoon of butter, et cetera. And I made $100 profit, which was good money as a 14-year-old. That's great. Uh, and so that continued throughout high school. Shortly after that, my piano teacher called me over and she said, Chrissy, I need you to come right over. And so I rode my bike to her house and she said, um, I'm actually pregnant and I am 32 weeks pregnant. And her doctor thought it was something else, but it was actually a baby. <laughs> and so she said, I need you to take over my piano students. And so here I was at the age of 14, um, teaching piano students from age four all the way into the 80s. So I did that throughout uh, from eighth grade all the way through graduating high school. So those are my two introductions into entrepreneurship, you know, after uh, working with my mom for many years, who is an entrepreneur as well. Uh, and I loved the freedom. I love the sense of fulfillment. And I loved being able to create my own schedule. And I love making money. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's great. You know, and sometimes the emotional fulfillment of owning a business is even greater than any of the money that you can make. Now, I'm impressed. As a 14-year-old, you went to the store. Now, my background's a CPA. You went to the store and you priced out how much your cookies were going to cost to bake? I did, ingredient by ingredient. So how'd you Because get... I knew that I had, to, I had to make a profit margin, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so where'd you get the money to buy your supplies for your first batch of cookies? You know, that's a good question, Craig. Um, my mom used to pay me to write out invitations. So she sold Princess House Crystal for over 20 years. And so um, she used to do in-home parties. And when she was double booked, I would actually do the parties for her. My dad would take me to the other hostess's house <laughs> and I'd be in front of a group of women and strangers talking about Crystal. So I made money, you know, $5 at a time, handwriting those personalized invitations. Wow. So it probably came from either my savings or from that money that I was able to earn from my mom. Oh, great. I'm dying to know one other thing. What's your favorite cookie flavor? Oh, snickerdoodle. Oh, wow. I love snickerdoodle. <laughs> you would get along with my wife, Carol. She loves snickerdoodle as well. I think it's a great cookie, but I'm a little yeah. bit more partial to oatmeal raisin, but... Do you have a good oatmeal raisin cookie Ooh, recipe? <laughs> I do, for sure, for sure. Quaker Oats does it every time. <laughs> so how did you do it? How did you go from being a cookie entrepreneur and piano teacher to becoming a global vice president of a Fortune 15 company? Yeah, I will say certainly a lot of hard work. Secondly, results. And that is one mistake that people often make is they confuse effort with outcomes. And so driving results and then documenting those results so it's clear what my worth was. I will also say, Craig, taking risks and sometimes traveling the road less traveled. For example, 
when a executive recruiter called me, I was working at Procter and Gamble and had been there for almost nine years. And an executive recruiter called me and mentioned the Hershey company. Certainly have heard of Hershey's <laughs> chocolate, but never heard of the Hershey company and certainly hadn't heard of Hershey, Pennsylvania, a 10,000 person town. That is the sweetest place on earth. There you go. But I took a risk and I went to Hershey and had an amazing career there. Spent five years there in global innovation. And my last assignment was director of the Hershey's Kisses brand. And what an iconic global brand to have had the privilege of working on. So I will say hard work, results and outcomes, and taking calculated risks. I think that's great. You know, results and outcomes are really important because like you said, being a business owner, a lot of time people get into it, right, to be, to make money, but they also do it so that they can have the freedom and flexibility. And sometimes the flexibility and the freedom outweigh the effort and sometimes lose focus on the results. And so I think I started a business because I wanted to be judged based on my results, not on the number of hours I spent doing something, because I felt I could be more productive or more innovative than someone else. So I I think that's a real key for entrepreneurship. I appreciate you sharing that with me. You know, you're kind of unusual to be an entrepreneur, but also work inside a large company. What was that like to have the, I can start my own business, do my own thing, but then I have to work within this corporate environment. Tell me a little bit about what that was like for you. Sure. So throughout my time in corporate, I spent 20 years at Procter & Gamble, at the Hershey Company, and then my last six years at Cardinal Health, which is a Fortune 15 uh, healthcare company that is global. And so uh, working in those industries, generally, I had some type of entrepreneurial endeavor going on many of those years, not every year. Um, But the thing that I had early on was called Warm Spirit which was basically a a home party plan with self-care and wellness products. So I would, similar to my mom selling crystal, I would go into women's homes and sell lotions and sugar scrubs. And uh, it was a very uplifting environment. And certainly the money was good. But what I got from it was building confidence, making new friends, meeting new people, and just a positive environment around being empowered. Uh, And so balancing those two, one of the things I realized is there was a time when I was going for a promotion within um, that, that network marketing company. And I worked my tail off that month, Craig. And I did get the promotion, but I decided at that point, and this was many years ago, I don't want to work that hard every single month. And of course, it's not just about my results and my effort. It's about motivating teams. And I had a team of over 200 people across the country who were also selling uh, these products. And so it was fulfilling, but I decided, "Mm, I don't think I want to work that hard anymore. So I made a decision to focus pretty much exclusively on my day job, on my corporate job. So the, the bottom line is that it's difficult to balance both a demanding full-time job as well as entrepreneurship. Uh, And so now that I'm a full-time entrepreneur, it is very (laughs) time-consuming to be an (laughs) entrepreneur. I don't know what it is about time that's different as an entrepreneur, but it's probably because I don't have all of those systems 
and supports, you know, set up and the infrastructure uh, with other people. I certainly have an infrastructure and operations and support like a CPA and an executive assistant and a marketing team and a publicist, but there are so many um, other activities that are required as an entrepreneur. So it can be difficult to do both and do both effectively. I agree with you on that. But you know, what, what I find with entrepreneurship is the freedom to do what you want to be doing. Sure, you may spend more time at it, but you're doing what you enjoy. You have to admit in the corporate environment that often you're doing things that they want you to do to meet their objectives, not necessarily what you think is the most productive. While you have support staff to delegate some of that too, at least you can say as an entrepreneur, I'm choosing today to spend, instead of working eight hours, I'm going to spend 12 because I enjoy it so well. And here's the results that I'll get from it. So going back to what you said. One of the things that I don't miss about the corporate environment is the organizational politics, which can be so exhausting. I don't miss the slow decision-making. Sometimes working with clients, you know, it's a process to get from that awareness stage to the decision to purchase. So, you know, that can take some time. Um, But there are a lot of things I don't miss (laughs) about the corporate environment that I absolutely love about entrepreneurship. And that freedom is one of them. And and the purpose is is another. I I totally agree. Well, when I read part of your book, it said that you say to people that they should accept the invitation. Now, I have to admit to my listeners, I was really good at this at one point in time in my life. It led me to do all kinds of things, including testifying in Congress a number of times back in Washington, D.C. But I got so busy and the business got so big, I stopped accepting a lot of invitations. Tell me why you tell, why you recommend to people they should accept invitations. Yeah, I would say that, you know, uh, At my core, I'm a marketer and I'm a brand builder. And one of the things about marketing is there's something called the customer journey. And it starts with awareness and it ends with a purchase and then loyalty and repeat. To get from awareness all the way through repeat business, it requires multiple touch points, multiple points of engagement. And so it's all about building relationships. And that's where emotional intelligence can really make a difference. I actually had an aha moment about a week ago. A friend reached out to me and their company is interested in partnering with some historically Black colleges uh, and doing some career uh, interviewing and recruiting and investing in scholarships, et cetera. So he knows that I serve on the board of Florida A&M, which is my uh, alma mater. And he asked me to connect them. So I connected them, long story short. So saw him about a week ago and he said, oh, do you want to join our call? Um, the, the person that I connected him with, the VP, had set up a call with deans and all the different people that they wanted to talk to. And I'm like, you know, not, not really. I think you're good, <laughs> you know? And um, so I could kind of pick up the cues that he was kind of imploring me Right. to join the call. Maybe so he wasn't as comfortable without your help. Exactly. So, um, you know, throughout the course of the conversation, I said, you know what? No, send me the invitation. And if I can join, I'd love to join. But that was an aha moment for me. And it was because I was picking up those organizational cues and those cues from him that that was my reminder to say yes to the invite and find a way to say yes. Now, To be clear, Craig, 
every and 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 here's the other bit. I've pitched to him and his business some other opportunities, like connecting him with my alma mater. There's nothing in it for me. Um, but I've pitched to him some other opportunities of how my business can serve his business. So I had to reshift my mindset to this is a potential client. And, you know, what's the harm in me sitting on an hour long call right. to nurture that relationship? So every person is not necessarily a potential client and doesn't warrant the same level of investment. But if it makes sense, I found that generosity usually re- yields a re- return on investment. Um, so we can't be too generous with our time, but where it makes strategic sense, we should say yes to the invite. Yes. And I found in my career that sometimes I've gone to some conventions or seminars and I get to meet other people. And, and it's amazing when you get to know them that often there's times where you form a relationship and they call you later and say, Craig, can you help me with this? And I found that to be very rewarding for me through the years. I can't count on one hand. I know I can count on multiple hands the number of times that's yielded business and returns to me, just getting out and getting to know other people so that they know you. And like you said, your personal brand and what you're able to do to help people. And I think that's great. Now, you said something in your book that I absolutely love. You said, don't dress for the job you have, dress for the job you want. Now, tell us why you recommend that. And I love it. I'm going to tell a brief story after you do, but I, I don't want to steal your thunder. I love that quote. Yeah. So here's the thing, Craig. Each person is a brand. And chapter one of my book talks all about your personal brand. And I use a metaphor of the Coca-Cola brand of how to apply those branding principles to you. You know, first impressions are lasting impressions. And often there's the time when you have gotten to a place of competency where people trust that your results are going to be good. Okay. And that your performance is going to be strong. But it's not performance alone that helps you get to the next level. People have to see you at that next level. You have to operate at that next level. You have to have executive presence that you carry yourself at that next level. And that includes how you dress. So it's it's essential. And it's often one of those things that that's not going to show up on your performance review. No. That you don't dress the part. So you have to take it upon yourself and or work with a coach or some or mentor, someone who can guide you so that you are positioning yourself for the next level. I think that's great. But I also look at it and apply it to the business owner's level. For instance, when I was a CPA, I had a client that came to me and he had a real difficult tax matter. In fact, it was so challenging, he had to go through the tax court system to straighten it out. I referred him to an attorney. And I went to meet with him to prepare for the tax court hearing. The attorney was wearing boots, jeans, and a t-shirt when we walked in. And my client looked at me, I'm in a shirt and tie. (laughs) And my client looked at me, are you for real, Craig? Are you taking me to this guy? And partway, and and he was very confident attorney, but partway through the, the conference in the preparation session, the attorney apologized to my client. I could tell that he could see at that point in time, my client was questioning. He said, don't worry, when we go to court, I'll be wearing a suit and tie. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, you know, we can't apologize for how we look. We need to look our part 
And sometimes we think our part is only in the field where we think we're on display, so to speak. For the attorney, it was in tax court. But I say we're anytime we're in business, we're on display no matter where we are or what we're doing. People are observing you. You are a walking advertisement for your business when you're a business Absolutely. owner. Absolutely. Especially for entrepreneurs. And here's the other thing that makes me think about Craig is your... Uh, your brand and how you show up and even your dress, that has a direct correlation to your worth. Yes, definitely. So if you're dressing the part, people will probably pay you the part. Exactly. (laughs) There's a correlation. There's a great correlation. trust. (laughs) Exactly. I've always said, no one's going to offer you more than what you think you're worth. You need to have that in your mind. You have to be the one that perceives you're of high worth, but you have to deliver with the skills. You have to deliver and everything. And I would add, dress how you are. I know I might be of maybe an older generation here for some of our listeners that are following my podcast. I would say, be careful what you post on social media and how you look and what you're doing, because that's also going to reflect on you. can possibly have a negative, especially if you're in business and someone that you do business with sees something. It might be funny, might be it might be humorous, but yeah. it may not cast you in the best light. Yeah. And that's why it's important for individuals to manage your brand. And that takes intention um, in order to manage your brand. So I have tools in the first chapter to help you be really clear about what your brand is about so that you can manage it well. I love that because there's a lot of there's a lot of words that you can go through to try to pick how to describe yourself. I think that's great. And and how you want to appear. I I think that's a great book to work through and it's available on Amazon. That's where I got it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Amazon books, a million Barnes and Noble. Yeah. A lot of different websites. The heart of a leader. Five star rated. I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I haven't rated it yet, but I'm sure I'm giving it five stars. I've really enjoyed it. In fact, what brought us together was this emotional resiliency quiz. Like I said, I, I probably fare just barely above average. I thought usually on most quizzes that I do, I do pretty well. But on this one, in being all honest with myself, I really identified some areas that I could work on. So how do you see being emotionally resilient as being helpful in starting a business? Yeah, entrepreneurship and starting a business is full of optimism and uncertainty. It's full of plans and disruptions. It's full (laughs) of potential and it's also full of challenge. And so resilience is critical when you're starting a business and when you are operating a business because challenges will come. One of the biggest things that I've found as a leader and it's especially important for entrepreneurs is to know your strengths and to know your areas of opportunity and to hire and or create a support system around where your areas of opportunity are. Because as a business owner, you could you probably believe like I do, that I can I can do or I can learn how to do anything, right? But Sometimes time that's a is big so mistake, precious. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Time is so precious. And the the definition of leverage is hiring experts. So you can get to your destination faster. You stay in your lane where you're an expert, hire other experts, and you can get to your destination faster. So resilience is critical because there will be bumps and detours along the way. But if you have that strong belief 
that you are, you have the work ethic to serve your clients or your customers, and you're willing to pivot when necessary. That's the definition of resilience for entrepreneurs and why it's so important. I think that's great. You know, I never want to discourage anyone from starting a business. I think it represents the ultimate freedom of the founding fathers of our country. I think it represents all that America is based upon because it allows us to be individuals and to express our own worth to the world. And and so I appreciate what you say. Now, when disappointment comes to a business owner, what do you recommend they do? Because sometimes you may have hired the experts to help, but sometimes you're going to face disappointment or even failure, and you may start looking at yourself and get discouraged. What do you recommend to help build that some resiliency so that when those moments of, of disappointment or reality checks hit, how to bounce back and respond? Absolutely. I have lots of different strategies around how to not only bounce back, but also bounce forward. Um, and I refer to it in my book as post-traumatic growth, that you can actually uh, come out better than you were before. So, you know, one is just mindfulness, being self-aware, you know, how do you feel? Another is taking time to breathe and taking time to slow down. You know, as entrepreneurs and as business owners, we're often so busy, you know, chasing that next deal, servicing our clients and customers. It's important to stop and take a pulse check. So taking those moments to just think about things uh, is really important. I would also say when you identify, at least when you identify one emotion, it can reduce that emotion's power over you. So that's another mindfulness uh, strategy. And I call it emotional granularity, um, like being granular with the emotion that you feel. I would also say that there is no such thing as failure as long as you learn from it. So the example I just gave about saying yes to the invite, you know, afterwards I was like, oh, duh, I should have said yes <laughs> right away. But I learned from it, you know? So there is no failure if you're able to learn from it. Right, and I you bounced forward with it because you accepted exactly. it. And now it's leading to other opportunities. A better outcome, absolutely. Um I would also say that sometimes the goals we're pursuing, at some point, it may not make sense to continue to pursue those goals if we keep running into challenge and roadblock. And so you've got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> and I call that goal disengagement. Sometimes you have to disengage from a goal, create a new goal, and that new goal will bring that additional sense of optimism. Uh, the last thing I would share is gratitude expressing gratitude. Because when you shift your mindset from what's going wrong and what challenges you're experiencing to what you're grateful for or what you've learned, when you shift your focus, that's what magnifies. Whatever you focus on is going to magnify. So those are a few strategies. And there are so many business owners who have faced substantial challenges, but they didn't give up. They pivoted when it was necessary and they didn't give up. So I think it takes that, takes some, it takes some gut, takes some fortitude to fight through that. But how do you know when you're fighting against a losing cause? Because you said sometimes if you keep going up and bumping up against the same roadblocks, um, sometimes you can be deceived and think that maybe I should give up when maybe fighting through might be the best thing. So do you have a way you recommend people take that gut check and step back? 
Yeah. So I would say, look at the scoreboard. <laughs> so whatever is the scoreboard for your business, look at that, whether it's the revenue, whether it's the profit, whether it's your margin, whether it's the number of people who have said yes to a capabilities presentation. Um, so look at the scoreboard. And it's important that we keep metrics, especially as business owners, because we can easily be deceived by a lot of activity, but activity doesn't always produce results. So I would say, look at the scoreboard, number one. Number two, I would say solicit customer feedback, whether it's your existing customers or clients, or whether it's prospective customers or clients. And that takes a level of humility to ask for honest feedback and then to put our guard down and our defenses down so that we can receive that honest feedback without being defensive. Um, so those are the two, two ways that I would suggest determining if it's worth moving forward or if you need to pivot. Now I know why we get along so well. You, you've just described to me what I call the Biz Sherpa scorecard. I, I suggest that people uh -huh. set a goal, an objective, whatever it is for their business, and they spend 80% of their time, delegate the rest. In other words, the things that you can't do well, give to someone else and focus on what you can do well. And the second thing is measure every day your customers' responses. And if you're not getting anything, get on the phone and call them. And it gives you that opportunity to see, am I hitting my goals and objectives? Are my services, is my product resonating the way I would expect it to? Because that brings in and of itself an emotional reward to you, that you're not frustrated doing something Absolutely. that you could have delegated, number one. And then in the second instance on the scorecard that I say is to, to get the customer feedback. If you're not getting it, you need to go out and get it. And, and that can be very rewarding in and of itself, or it can help you set the objectives you need to do so that you can score better with your customers. And I think that brings the success. The dollars and cents will take care of themselves after that because you'll be happy, you'll be fulfilled, and your customers will be happy. So I'm glad that you and I Absolutely. can totally relate. And so when I read your totally. 20 questions, I thought, this is great. I can do better in a lot of areas, which I'm grateful for because it identified what you call areas of opportunity. I'll call them weaknesses for me because I'm okay saying that. I recognize yep. that I have them and I, and I need to recognize them probably more often. Now, one of the things that I like to ask each of my guests is to kind of pull off the mask for a second, not that you have one, but let's just, for instance, be real. What is your greatest failure or challenge that you Gosh, faced? I've, I've had a lot of failures. I've made a lot of mistakes. Uh, one that I would say was a great failure is um, assuming that the same rules applied in one environment as it did another. So I'll give you an example. I came from consumer packaged goods. And in the CPG industry, it's very typical to work long hours, like 10, 11 hour days. Um, I started my career when there were no laptops and <laughs> used to stay in the office quite a long time. And once laptops you know, were invented, uh, I would take my laptop home and I would pick back up after dinner. And so that's what I was used to. When I transitioned to a different company, that environment was not the CPG environment around 10, 11, 12 hour days and then working at home. So I, was, I had been used to that for well over a decade. 
And I was using that same mentality. And what I realized through 360 feedback from my team is that I was burning them out. And um, then I looked around and I realized, hmm, I'm the only one sending emails at 10 (laughs) o'clock. Nobody else is sending me emails at 10 o'clock, not just on my team, but across the company. So they recommend you read the four hour work week too. (laughs) They didn't, but that is a great book. (laughs) Anyway, so I will say applying, applying rules from a different context into a new context. So that's why I believe so heartily in getting feedback. Uh, it really is a gift that people don't have to give you. Uh, and whether it's asking for feedback from your customers or clients or or your teammates or your even your, your direct reports and contractors, that's important. We, everybody can teach and everybody can learn. I think that's great. Well, you not only shared with us your greatest challenge, but you shared with us what you learned from it. And I really appreciate that because I think in life, those are the greatest lessons that we have. And those can really move us forward. And if we get stuck and keep focusing on why did I do that and expect ourselves to be perfect, we can put ourselves in a tough spot. In fact, I think in your book, you quote Michael Jordan when he says, look, I've, I've lost this many games. I've missed this many shots. But he was still one of the greatest athletes to ever play basketball. And I think we have to remember that, you know, Babe Ruth struck out so many times, but he still hit the most home runs. And we have to really be able to accept that on the path to the top, there are a lot of challenges, there's stumbling blocks, there's roadblocks, but it's our ability to navigate those that lead us to greater fulfillment and greater happiness. And we can't, we can't expect the smooth ride the whole time. (laughs) Mm-mm. Not, in, not in business ownership. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Kristen, is there any other wisdom that you would like to offer to our listeners today that, that you feel would, would help someone who's starting a business? Yeah, I would just say that the biggest mistake I see people make who are starting a business is that they are um, enamored with the great idea and have that enthusiasm, which is so great and so characteristic of entrepreneurs, but don't do the due diligence to make sure that their idea is solving an unmet need. And that is critical. And that's why that's one of the many reasons why so many businesses don't succeed over t- about 25% fail after year one and only about 50% last after five years. So I've put together a program called the Brand Positioning Blueprint Bootcamp. And it's a program that helps you methodically go from identifying your uh, product, service, or idea, identifying who your target audience is, developing um, and executing some market research, which is essentially focus groups or one-on-one conversations. And I lay out the entire interview Uh, for you with all of the questions. And what this helps you to do in 60 days or less is validate that your product or service idea is truly meeting an unmet need. The worst thing that can happen is you invest your heart, your soul, your time, your money, your life savings into a business idea that the market rejects. That is heartbreaking. So it's better to do the work up front to get that into a really good place so that you can move forward with confidence or to say, you know what? I thought it was a really good idea, but the market isn't responding in the same way. So you know what? I'm going to think about the next idea instead. 
That's a, that is a great point. In fact, in our seventh episode of the Biz Sherpa, we talked about solving an unmet need or the problem and who is your target audience and then testing it. And I think that's really important to do because like you said, it will prevent a lot of failures and it will give you the opportunity to not only find some ways you can do better at it so that when you do launch, you're even more successful. So I think your bootcamp is a great idea. And, and I may just sneak you in on that and take a segment of this and, and put it in there because I, I love your bootcamp idea. I think it yeah. can be very helpful to business owners. I think there's Thank two you. areas that business owners really need to focus on. One is that they're emotionally prepared, that they're starting the business for the right reason and not the wrong reason. And then once they have that, it makes sure they're personally prepared for the journey they're about to take. It's kind of like trying to climb to the top of a mountain, but not packing the backpack and not taking enough food and not allowing for the contingencies. But if you pack well, you can meet any challenge that comes along the way. And then the second area really is in the nuts and bolts of the business, understanding finance, understanding your product, understanding your target market, understanding and testing it. So I really love your, your boot camp. That's a great Thank idea. Thank you. Yeah. And you can find out, your listeners can find out more on my website, driven to succeed LLC.com. Good. We'll put that up on the screen as they watch the video too, and, and probably provide a link if you're all right with that on our website. Absolutely. Well, that's great. Kristen, it's been a joy to spend time Likewise. with you today. I am so grateful for your expertise and the way you've been able to, in a very succinct way in your book and in through uh, your programs that you do for leadership, be able to put into play some things that I think enhance the success of business owners. And so I highly recommend Kristen's book to our listeners. And I hope you go to our website. There's a link to her 20 question emotional resiliency test. Keep in mind, I didn't do so well, but you're probably not surprised by that. But she. <laughs> We're all a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> but we appreciate Kristen joining us today. This is Craig Willett, The Biz Sherpa. Be sure to go to our website to access the resources related to this episode at www.bizsherpa.co. If you enjoyed this show, tell your friends about us and be sure to rate our podcast. Craig would like to hear from you, so share your thoughts in the Facebook community at bizsherpa.co. Follow us on Twitter at bizsherpa underscore co and on Instagram at bizsherpa.co.